and welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, uh, costume designers, composers, uh, Visual effects magicians. Let's face it, they are magicians at times. Uh, sound mixers, sound editors, sound designers, um, film editors, uh, authors, you name it, and we talk to them. And been doing lots and lots and lots of talking already in the new year. Um, after lots and lots and lots of talking last year, especially the last couple months of 2023, with all of these wonderful artisans uh, that I was speaking with uh, for awards consideration. Uh, so check out all of those interviews. All of the technical interviews are up on the website, BehindTheLensOnline.net. So check them out, along with some other interviews, too. Uh, but, and you've got, we've got more that are coming up. Uh, I just spoke with... The great sound designers, I'm looking here, I'm looking here, where is it, uh, of Rebel Moon. If you haven't seen Rebel Moon, check it out on Netflix. Uh, just spoke with the supervising sound designer, Scott Hecker. Our longtime listeners will remember Scott with Formosa Group. Formosa is fantastic. Uh, Scott was the first sound designer from Formosa to be on the show, uh, I think in our first year. So it's been almost 10 years. Since, it's been 10 years since Scott was, he actually made the drive to Whittier, was here for the whole hour. And then following Scott, Mark Mangini has been here. Tim Hoganocker has been here. Other guys I, I've, I've been on the phone with at Formosa. They have called in. We've done pre-records. Uh, and now, Scott and I uh, got to chat along with his co-sound designer, Chuck uh, Michael, about Rebel Moon Part 1. And fascinating, fascinating conversation. And that will be out this week for you to listen to. Uh, also, coming up, uh, coming up is my exclusive interview with Laura Gabbert and Doug Prey the director and executive producer, editor-writer, respectively, uh, The Power of Film. It is currently airing on Thursday nights as a limited series on TCM. It is phenomenal. Check it out. Thursday nights, I think at 8 o'clock, um, on TCM, The Power of Film. It's six episodes, and it features the incredible... Uh, Professor Emeritus from UCLA, he was at UCLA uh, teaching film for over 50 years, Howard Suber. And most film students out there over the years uh, may be familiar with Howard's book that he put out in 2006, uh, talking about breaking down the elements of film. Wonderful, wonderful book. This series updates what was there, but Laura and Doug were also students of his in the master's program at UCLA. So they pulled out all of their class notes from their time with him uh, and helped craft this incredible series, which is just, I've seen, all, I've seen all six episodes, and they're wonderful. Now, Laura and I, we've spoken in the past. We, uh, we spoke with one of her very first films, documentaries back in 2009, No Impact Man. Uh, and then again with City of Gold in 2015. This was the first time I've had the chance to speak with Doug Prey, but Doug was also the executive producer of the Netflix series on Arnold Schwarzenegger called Arnold. Uh, I love his work. I love Laura's work. So to have the two of them together working on the power of film is phenomenal. I can't recommend it highly enough. You will get to hear my interview with them. Uh, that will be up on BehindTheLensOnline.net this week. I just spoke with them on Friday. So 
I'm very excited about that. But talk about excited. Today is a great show for you guys. Uh, Joining us at the midpoint of the show is Andrew Baird to talk about his new film, Sunrise, starring Alex Pettifer and Guy Pearce, an almost unrecognizable Guy Pearce. It is a slow burn. It's really mesmerizing. And I'll get into that film later on uh, when Andrew comes on. But uh, I'm the first one to admit, I have never been a big Alex Pettifer fan. He, this role in Sunrise was tailor-made for him, and he is excellent. But before we get to Andrew talking about Sunrise... How about hearing from Rennie Harlan, one of my all-time favorite directors. I adore Rennie. Um, We haven't spoken in a a few years, but I'm so happy we got to speak just the other day uh, about his new film, The Bricklayer. You know, anybody that knows Rennie's films knows action, action, action. He is big on action. He is big on practical action, in-camera action. Actors doing as much of the action as they can. He does not like to go with CGI or use digi doubles. And that's one of the great things with the brick layer. It is an honest-to-God action spy thriller with starring Aaron Eckhart uh, as a former CIA agent who gets pulled back into the fold uh, because there's an, somebody who is assassinating foreign journalists and making it look like the CIA is responsible. So, as we are losing all of our allies around the globe, uh, Aaron's character, uh, former agent Steve Vale, is called back from retirement. Joining him is Nina Dobrov as a current agent, Bannon Clifton Collins Jr., as... uh, we'll say, possibly the antagonistic villain, uh, and Tim Blake Nelson as the head of this this CIA division. It is a human story. There's great ambiguity. Uh, Obviously, there's a mole somewhere. You don't find out, and I'll tell you right now, you won't find out until the very end who that mole is. But it's a good old-fashioned spy thriller. There is lots of man-on-man action sequences. Limited to one car chase, which is beyond superlative. And what's really fascinating with this film is the meld of analog and high-tech in the approach to this conundrum that... uh, Eckert's character of Vale is facing. Find out who it is and stop them uh, with these assassinations. And the attention to detail that Rennie always does with his films. And, you know, some of my, some of my favorite films, obviously Cliffhanger, Long Kiss Goodnight uh, in my top ten, Die Hard 2, um, Five Days of War, Legend of Hercules, just to name a few of Rennie's films. But Die Hard, Cliffhanger, Long Kiss, Good Night. Yep, there's a lot of action. And it's done in camera. And the amazing thing, you're going to hear Rennie talk about this momentarily. Aaron Eckhart trained for months and did all of his own action and stunts. Unbelievable. The Bricklayer is out now. Theaters, digital, uh, VOD. See it. It is really a wonderful film, and I think you're going to like it, and I think you're going to like this interview, my exclusive with Rennie Harlan talking, The Bricklayer. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm fine, Rennie. How are you? I'm extremely well. I'm sitting in Miami. It's beautiful weather. I'm sitting on my yard and enjoying the sunshine and talking to wonderful people like you. I am so jealous. I wish I was there right now myself. I know. <laughs> Where are you? I'm in L.A. So, okay. Well, that's not too bad. No, it's a, it was a little chilly at about 6 a.m. It was 40 degrees down here near Sony, um, which is a, a little nippy, but we survive. 
<laughs> yeah, what is with this uh, cold spell? I'm coming into LA actually on Friday. I was just comparing temperatures. I was like, <sighs> why is it always cold when I come to LA? I don't know. Maybe LA wants to remind you of Finland? I'm not sure. <laughs> yep. Must be. It's so good to talk to you again. The last time we got to talk was for Legend of Hercules. Oh my God, it's been way too long. Way, way too long. And before that, I think the best conversation you and I ever had was for Five Days of War. Yes. I still love that film, Rennie. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you so much. And now with The Bricklayer, thank you, thank you, thank you for making this film. You have, oh. you have given us not only a very human story with great emotional touchstones, but... This is a good old-fashioned spy thriller with practical effects in camera, stunts. It, you don't have CGI. You're not doing digi-doubles here. What I love is that you and your, your cinematographer, Maddie, I got to say, I was looking very closely to see if Aaron was doing his own stunts, and Maddie gives us so many full facials of him that there was no way that it was not Aaron. I knew, and I'm like, oh my God. And not too many directors or actors are gutsy enough to do that, and you did it, and I thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Well, you you said everything that I was going to say, so I'm just going to say thank you for recognizing what I was trying to do. I I really wanted this movie to be, you know, my, my spy movie homage to the 70s action movies, uh, and, and the kind of movies I grew up with and I loved with, you know, directors like Don Siegel and, and uh, uh, Sam Peckinpah and, and so on. And uh, I, I, like you said, I wanted to make a movie where the action is real. Uh, it's not done digitally. It's done in camera. I still, I'm a firm believer that the audience appreciates that, that they, 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 smell it when they see in, in today's blockbuster movies they see so much CG work and you know glory to those movies nothing nothing to take away from them but I, I feel like when people feel like they are defying gravity and car chases cars are moving in a, in a way that is impossible it just uh, it takes away something and then instead of being the audience being rooted in the reality of the moment they are actually just looking for bigger thrills. They are looking for like, okay, well, give me the biggest CG effects you could ever dream of because otherwise I, I have really nothing to hold on to here because, because uh, you know, I, I don't believe in the character because the character is a superhero that is untouchable. So, so that's what I was trying to do. And I, I, was, uh, I wanted to, you know, in terms of violence in action movies, I think, I think it's... Uh, it's right to show that it hurts, you know, it yep. hurts the, the characters when they get kicked or punched, uh, you know, they, they get bruised and they bleed and they are, they are real people. And uh, uh, I, 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 I enjoy that kind of, if you can say that, you know, one enjoys violence. I enjoy that kind of violence in action movies. And, and, um, and, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I would, well, first of all, you know, any movie, especially action movies, it's, I, I think it's not worth anything if, if you don't care about the characters. And, and so that's what I look at very carefully when I'm looking at a script in the, in, in the, in the get-go. And, uh, and, and I felt like Bale's character was something that was really rooted in reality, had a very complex persona, complex relationship with his ex and complex relationship with the villain and a very kind of a painful relationship that wasn't a cookie cutter, bad guy, good guy situation. And I wanted to have an actor who could really portray all this dramatic stuff and make it real. And so I got really lucky. Aaron was the first person we offered the movie to. He loved the script. He wanted to do it. And I believed in him also as somebody who could do the action. And he proved it, trained for several months at his ranch in Montana with a boxing coach. And then he came to uh, Greece. And then we practiced for several weeks with our stunt team. He learned all the choreography. It's like learning a dance. You have to have a sense of rhythm. 
you have to know where to place your feet and where to place your hands and when to duck and when to punch and uh and he was amazing he well you're absolutely right i know actors always say like oh i did all my stunts some do some don't but with aaron it's really like you said you uh you you can look carefully and you see that it's him mm -hmm. it really is all the fight scenes it's never anybody else but aaron uh and it was such a pleasure like for example in the nightclub swimming pool mm -hmm. uh, see like i could do takes where he takes down 12 guys and and just in one take and he just went from one thing to another perfectly without missing a beat wow. and that is he's the only actor i've ever worked with who can do that so it was incredible and and the last thing i want to say i i want to also uh thank you for even remembering the dp's name matti he's from finland and uh, he'll be very happy when i tell him about our talk and tell him that you noticed his work because he worked very hard we worked together uh in creating the look for the movie and we wanted the movie to look beautiful and uh and the action to be photographed so that you really see what's going on it's not just a bunch of close-ups and fast cutting but you can really see what's going on and uh we we took great pride and pleasure in in making that happen yeah your visual grammar here in telling this story is executed so beautifully and designed so well what you and maddie came up with number one it's saturated with color it's rich and vibrant you've got great contrast happening with the memories of vale and radic from on the beautiful beach of, of the aegean sea um, and that's bright and happy and wonderful so it contrasts with the darker notes and the richer saturation of the present that I found really striking. But that also allowed you then for Maddie to incorporate some a lot of negative space. And that helped fuel the ambiguity and the tension. Because through this entire film, we know somebody's spilling the tea somewhere. And is it O'Malley? Is it Ty? Is it Bannon? Who, who is it? And you keep us guessing and you do so much of that through the visual grammar and i just really applaud how you and maddie designed that well debbie i gotta say to you i i'm actually i'm like moved because do you know how rare it is to talk to somebody who actually takes this work seriously and like you've gone to the to the length of watching this with thought analyzing the visuals the characters the the color palette uh you know we work really really hard to make that all happen you know it doesn't happen by coincidence that we have really high morals and standards and artistic ambitions and it's you know, you know it's so easy for people to take a movie like this like oh this is some b movie action crap whatever we don't care but to, for somebody to take it seriously, because we take it so seriously and we put our lives into this, we put everything into this work. So it's, I, I just, you know, I want you to know, Debbie, how much it means for me doing this work every day, every month, every year, uh, doing it with my, my soul and my heart, and then somebody actually recognizes it. It just makes my year. Oh. I, I just want you to know that. I'm glad, Rennie. I'm glad. That's how everybody should be looking at the film. You know, especially critics. They, this is how they should be looking at films, and they don't. But, you know, another element of this film that, that I really found striking is how you have uh, melded analog and high tech. We have a lot of, an of the analog world in here, and it's like a very subtle commentary and metaphor for all of this on cell phones, this, that, or the other technology, that is contributing to what is Radic is trying to do in this right. film that has brought Vale out. But you counter that with the bet and you show us the beauty and the benefits of an analog world. We go into Ty's apartment and Vale's whole thing with collecting records and his love of jazz. And jazz is all about human touch with the keyboards, with the instrumentation, even with 
the vocals, such as his obsession with Miles Davis. You bring in an actual turntable. I love this mix of balance of here's analog, here's high tech. What is more trustworthy, almost? And it's beautifully executed and integrated as part of the story. Thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. That is wonderful to hear. I'm curious, Rennie, with the action elements here, you really save just, you really only got the one huge car chase, which is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. But then you've got so many man-on-man or woman-on-man because Nina, she kicks some butt here, too. Um, yes. You really focus in on the human element. Was this deliberate with the action aspect of this film to keep it very personal with people yes. fighting people versus cars chasing cars? Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, <clears throat> I, I wanted really these this, uh, sequences to... to feel very real. Of course, you know, they are far-fetched when you're fighting a huge number of people, but 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 still, I I wanted them to be down to earth and I I didn't want the movie to become, you know, uh, in any shape or form a superhero movie where people are leaping from rooftop to rooftop and and doing impossible periods in the air and and things like that, but I really really wanted it to feel down to earth and like i said i wanted to go back to back to the 70s and and uh and that kind of uh older classics and and uh and uh you know one car chase is is maybe my homage to something like bullet mm-hmm. or you know one of those great movies and and then then other than that it it's just uh really showing showing this this job and how uh brutal it can be and how uh how um you know it's it it, it is really man, man to man and man to woman and and uh just uh very real painful great element of the film here that a lot of directors often overlook you do not you never have overlooked this in your films is your sound design and the sound edit talk to me about working with your sound design designer and your sound team because you've got some very nuanced sound that happens here. In addition to the ambient sound, production sound, but then you bring in, you've got some beautiful scoring from Walter Mayer, but then also the Miles Davis recordings that get interspersed in here. Again, blending the analog world with high tech. But the sound design is so meticulously done there's nothing worse when you're watching an action film and the score is so bombastic or the gunfire is so loud, you can't hear the dialogue. That is not a problem here. That does not happen here. So I, I'd love to know what your conversations were like with your sound team because I, I really appreciate the sound design and mix here. Thank you. Thank you so much. You are... Uh... I, I want you to watch every movie I make and tell me what you think because you you just have the eye and ear for everything you I can tell you're you're a true movie lover and a true expert and uh, and it, again it's it's I, I put so much work into sound design it's so important to me it's second to the to the visuals the sound can do so much the the amount of sound and the lack of sound and then of course the music they they direct our uh, attention and feelings so much and uh yes i i work very hard with my sound team in in uh trying to guide them to to see and hear what i saw and heard and and how i felt uh, uh i wanted to portray things and 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 yes i get very annoyed in movies that have bombastic music that just overshadows everything and uh, and and when you can't hear the dialogue, it's it's infuriating. I I always I want to make I go back many many times and say I, I bring bring other people to the mixing theater. I said, can you hear what they say there? They'll tell me what did they say, uh, because I want to make sure that there's never a situation that you go like you miss the dialogue and you 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 wonder what what did they just say, and uh, and then really 
the, the atmosphere of every different space, whether it be a train factory or a rooftop or a street or, a, or an apartment, I, I think that what we hear and what we don't hear tells us so much subliminally. It tells us about the environment that it tells about the tells about the the, the, the tension in the scene and mm-hmm. and, uh, and so on so i i put tremendous work in, in it and it's it's so you know again it, it's it's like you you put all this work and thought into it and you you kind of tend to think like i wonder if anybody will ever notice uh and uh and you know when the movie comes out they only say like it was exciting or it was fun or it was stupid or it was uh you know whatever uh but people just make blanket statements and and uh and does anybody really pay attention to these details but but then again my philosophy is that when you're making a movie you're creating art and every detail counts you can never say like well this doesn't really matter whether that's the color of the jacket of the bad guy or if it's uh, you know the nail polish on the female lead or or it's a it's a little creaky sound of the floorboards it's uh it everything matters every detail matters and those who will pick it uh like you debbie fantastic and those who will not ever recognize it that's okay too it's i i try to create as perfect as an experience as i can you know of course it's always going to be flawed the script is going to be flawed my direction is going to be flawed the acting the sound the photography there's always going to be things that could have been done better it's not a perfect art form there is no perfection it's all in the ultimately in the viewers eye and ears but uh but it it is it is the reward for all that work when one person like you points out the sound work and understands what what's gone into it how many hundreds of soundtracks are mixed together to to create that atmosphere yeah i mean the atmosphere here especially in uh, patricio's area his building that whole little compound that he has the sound is so great there ready with what's done because of the metal aspects of the structure and what's inside so you've got a tinnier sound you've got a concrete floor a tinnier sound from the structure itself and it really just adds so much to who this man is and what he has done and does do ready on every level i just love this film and now you're working on what you're rebooting the strangers yes yes i did the crazy thing i shot three movies at the same time and uh the first one is coming now out in may and uh yeah basically we are treating the strangers as if there was the original film but no sequels and uh the our first movie is is an homage well all the three movies are an homage to the original film but the first movie is more of a remake of it Mm-hmm. It's a home invasion, home invasion movie, and uh, Madeline Petch plays the lead Tyler character, and she survives in the end of the movie. And then we, uh, then we go on a journey with her. This is not like usually when you have a sequel, you just take the villains and you put them in a, you know, horror sequels. You mm-hmm. take the villain and you put them in a new situation. But here we are, we are following Madeline's character. We are following an ordinary woman who has gone through extraordinary circumstances and how that that psychologically and physically affects her and what's going to happen to her in these next two chapters and and uh we will answer a lot of the questions that the fans have had for years about who are the strangers and why are the strangers why are they doing this senseless act of violence uh and and creating another set of questions uh, along the way so it's uh i i love the strangers and and i wanted to really do an homage to it and and hopefully create something that the fans will will really enjoy well i know i am so looking forward to that one and hopefully we'll get to talk about it in may i bet we will you just tell them you know you want to talk to me and (laughs) i will be there for sure i'm just surprised that you didn't sign up for cliffhanger too renny uh to be honest I tried over the years to, to pull it together, but wasn't able to. 
uh, and now it's in other people's hands, and I wish them luck, and I, I hope that, my only hope is that they don't go the digital way, but that they, they honor the way the first one was made, the original one was made, and, and we'll give it the same, same kind of, no pun intended, gravity. Uh, well, we hope for the best. considering that Rick Waugh is directing, and Rick is also a very big believer coming out of the stunt world himself. I've known Rick for 40 years. Oh, I, I think we're going to be in good hands because he believes in practical in-camera. So, Fantastic. hopefully. Well, we look forward to that. We both will. We're both looking forward to that. <laughs> Renny, yeah. this has been such a joy to get to speak with you. It has been way too long. And hopefully we will rectify that and talk again in May about The Strangers. We have to. You have to because you made my year. This is the, this is the best talk I've had in years about movies. And I, I appreciate it so much, Debbie, your, your expertise and, and your sensitivity. It's, it's, it's stunning. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Rennie. And you go enjoy that beautiful, balmy, sunny day in Florida. Absolutely. Thanks, Renny. We'll talk soon. Yes. Bye-bye. And that was Renny Harlan talking about the bricklayer. I love Renny. Um, and we always do have, when we get a chance to talk, a very in-depth uh, and really break down the different elements of the film and how they speak to the story. Uh, and again, see it, The Bricklayer. It's out now. No digital, VOD, theaters. You will be impressed, especially with Aaron Eckhart. Wow. And now we're going to switch gears here. And I'm very happy to welcome Andrew Baird to Behind the Lens. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Debbie. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um... Uh... Where are you guys? Uh, we're in Los Angeles. Oh, so am I. Okay, good. All right. Um, and we're going to right. we're going to talk about your film Sunrise, which comes out this Friday. That is correct. Yes, in the U.S. In, yeah, in theaters, digital, on demand. So come Friday, there's no excuse for everybody not to see this film on some platform. Yeah, sure. And Did you see it? I have seen it. I would not be talking to you if I hadn't. <laughs> I'm very anal that right. way. I will not okay. I will not speak to filmmakers, actors, anyone else unless I've seen their film. I find it a disservice to you and your talent and the effort you've put in. And you definitely put effort into Sunrise. I was mesmerized by this film. Andrew, mesmerized. You know, I said at the top of the show, and everybody that has read my reviews over the past 40 years and or heard my interviews know that I am not really a huge Alex Pettifer fan. He's hit and miss. And I got to tell you, he is so perfectly cast in this role and does such an excellent job in Sunrise that... I am beyond impressed, beyond impressed, uh, Andrew. And so Great. kudos to you that you cast him appropriately in a role well, that really that was works. a real collaboration. Yeah, Alex is, is a really smart actor. Um, so we, we really collaborated on the movie for sure. And the first of many collaborations. He's he's fantastic. We really connected. I I could tell that he definitely. Uh, you were almost like kindred spirits in this because of the very nature of the film, and the subject. Because this is a great thriller, and Alex's character of Fallon, is an ex-cop, a cop, and there is terror in his past. There's been a horrific crime. Uh, in this small rural town. And he appears, and he's in really bad shape. Uh, and there's something about him that is kind of mystifying. Uh, but then you've got the town residents, most notably the town leader Reynolds, played by an 
almost unrecognizable Guy Pierce, uh, who want him gone. They're perpetrating all kinds of horrible things on the people, the residents of the town. It's a really interesting dynamic here. I'm curious how this script by Ronan Blaney found its way to you. Um, one of my producing partners, Martin Brennan, gave me the script, and it was the baby project of another producer, Mark Huffman, who um, was instrumental in helping Martin and myself get Zone 414, my first movie, produced with my manager, Jib Palima. Um, so Mark had been trying to make this movie for a long time and had gone through various filmmakers and actors, etc. And Martin had kind of taken it over. So, because Mark Puffham was producing, or he, he was producing all of Ridley Scott's movies mm-hmm. with, up until Napoleon. So he was pretty busy. Anyway, so that's how it began. Um, uh, and that happened as I was in post on One Way, my last movie. Um, and it, you know, it, I, I, it was a process, you know, of trying to cast it, which took a long time because a lot of actors don't like playing vampires. I've learned to believe. <laughs> I, I've learned, you know, because it, you know, I'm also <laughs> in my next movie. Um, it's a survival movie and. It involves sharks, and there's a lot of actors who don't want to be in a situation where they're upstaged by sharks, you know. But it's, 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 uh, you know, the sharks will feature as heavily in my next movie as the vampires feature in Sunrise. But I probably shouldn't be saying that because, you know, the financer, it's already financed. I'm like, where are the sharks, Andrew? But it's, it's like with Jaws. Why did Jaws... I, the funny thing is, is Jaws had a huge influence on Sunrise. Really? On Sunrise, yeah. I don't know what... Because that round tape, that, t- that moment in the bar with Ma Reynolds, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the mother character of Guy, of Guy Pierce's ca- character, it was very much like the Indianapolis scene and on the boat in Jaws. I just felt like, you know, sunrise is set on a mountain, which is kind of like an ocean. Mm-hmm. And the town is like the boat. And the inhabitants are like the people in the boat. And then the shark is the red coat. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way I kind of like crafted it then, you know, to, and this was all very organic It all. This movie never stopped. Um, growing as, as as good movies should they keep growing until they're finished and it's similar to the next movie i'm doing you know it's like um um the uh or like with jaws like i mean the shark never worked so they couldn't really show it that much and if it worked they would have shown it more and if they'd have shown it more it wouldn't have been as effective you know so mm-hmm. it's really the the primal fear within the characters above the water is re- reflective of what the primal fear below the water. And I know I'm talking about the next movie now, but I'm kind of in it. And, um, but in the same way with Sunrise, the primal fear that exists within the community, this very kind of puritanical, God-fearing community, is really the true fear. And it's only, and, and that's what manifests the red coat and, mm-hmm. and this sort of like kind of um, rural myth that mm-hmm. small, fearful communities have created, you know? It's almost like they box their fear into this sort of character, this creature, this monster, and put it out there, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, it takes their fear away, but it doesn't really, it just, it doesn't treat the fear. It just moves the fear, mm. you know? And when, when the fear gets to a, a significant level, then it, it, it manifests this monster back into the community, like the red coat, you know? Mm-hmm. So the 
the hatred and the fear. You know, it, it, it's like um, it's like a virus. So oh. it, it brings this creature back. Like blood in the water will attract the sharks, you mm-hmm. know? It's like the, the, the fear attracts this creature, you know? So the, the red coast is a metaphor for fear. And the, and the lead character has to come to terms to face his demons, face his greatest fears. And at the end of the movie, the lead character being Fallon, at the end of the movie then, which Alex Pettifer plays Fallon, and then Guy Pearce plays Reynolds, and he begins his journey at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of redemption happening in this film with Alex. I hope ca- so, because it's a dark journey. <laughs> it's a, it's a very action. dark journey. And yeah. that's reflected with your color palette and some really beautiful lensing by your cinematographer, by Ivan Abel. Um, yeah. Everything, it's very muddied. It's very brown. Yeah. It's very earthy. Yeah. Um, which, you know, vampires, dirt, earth. You get that. But the darkness and fear. You don't want anything bright and happy. Where you do get a couple punches of color come from the adorable little immigrant girl who pretends to be a nurse or a doctor trying to help heal Fallon. And her little play school, you know, stethoscope and all are bright and cheery. That's where our color comes in. And that also is what sets up great ambiguity for, uh-huh. you know, redemption versus revenge or what the scope and, and exactly what's happening and just draws you in even deeper into this story and into these characters because this really is a great character study, not just of Fallon and Reynolds, but the town as a character. It's quite interesting uh-huh. to watch this dynamic. But your color palette and that cinematography, it really, just that, that muddy, all those muddy browns really help fuel this. And I thought that was really interesting. Good. I mean, because, because the movie was shot in Northern Ireland and it's evoking kind of somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And there's similarities, but also, so the, the, the locations that we found helped tremendously and it gave it a certain distinctive visual palette. But mm-hmm. then, um, Ivan, the DP who I had worked with before in New York on music videos back in the day, this was his first feature film. He's brilliant. You know, he's Slovakian and, um, we had a great collaboration and he brought, you know, he's a, a, he's a tremendous asset to the piece, you know, as you can see. So, and we shot the movie in a very classical way, um, very cinematic. And, um, I, before I, before I became a director, I was an art, a production designer like Ridley Uh Scott. (laughs) Uh, So building worlds is part of my DNA. So it was interesting. I really, I had a great designer on this, by the way. His name is Ashley Jeffers. Uh, really super. And, um, and the, you know, all the crew were all from Northern Ireland. And the costume designer, that makeup, they stepped up to their full, whatever you call it. You know, they were assistants before. So they really delivered. And um, um, what was I saying? So I wanted to imbue this world with, I wanted to keep the DNA of Northern Ireland because the, the, the troubles and everything inspired the story. Mm-hmm. And then, and also then, and then utilize the, the kind of classic Western landscape of like an American town, you know, so, and all that, that iconic imagery. So it's a combo. And I, I think because of that combo, it created something quite unique that the, the kind of the tone, you know, mm-hmm. the tone is so rich, right. And, and, um, distinctive, right. It's like, um, it's like a, it's like a, a dream, 
like a very intense dream, mm-hmm. fever well, dream. And this is where your location really helps you because you've got this little village and we see all the trees around it. So it's almost its own little bubble. Yeah. Um, which very much a dream. It's your own little bubble. But this it's untainted by the outside world, which really helps with the manifestation of fear. And that's being promulgated by Reynolds and by his mother and their little minions uh, that are sitting around in the pub. But I love the location that you chose for that reason. And it really helps keep it very organic. But it does. It's very cloistered. It's very claustrophobic. And yet the little courtyard there where the immigrant family lives, the ones who help Fallon. Uh, and where the little girl lives. You know, it's very clear. It's very open right in front of their home. And it gives the, metaphorically gives us the idea of welcoming, openness, unlike the rest of the town. So your your visuals, your visual tonal bandwidth plays very, very heavily into the success of this story. Yeah, Good. Yeah, I mean, just really wonderfully done. Now, where did you find your locations? Because you've got those stone cottages um, where the immigrant family lives. You've got, you know, how much of this did you have to build up? Did you find it this way? No, it's all found locations. Wow. uh, All locations outside of Belfast and the main city in Northern Ireland, the capital city. So, and just the the landscapes and the the weather, it all complemented the story so well. I knew that, you know, that it it would do that. And there was, a, and then we found this incredible forest called Gordon Glen, which is a very expansive, lush forest filled with these Californian trees, whatever I can't remember. And it was just like, this is it. We'll just set the movie in like this will be the world that it's basically a town within this forest mm-hmm. that wasn't what was on paper initially um it's just what i found um so i believe so yeah so but that's the beauty of filmmaking as you go along you can adapt and i wanted them like them to be surrounded by this the nature as well, you know, the power of nature mm-hmm. and the elements, but it's almost, it's like a malignant nature because because of their, they've infected it with their, their fear, you know, mm-hmm. and their hatred, you know, they've closed themselves off from the rest of the world, like lots of little communities do. Yes. And then created this um, artificial reality, mm-hmm. you know, so, but, uh, yeah, it's quite, a, it's a very anti-religious movie. It truly is. Uh, I grew up in a very religious um, environment, and I've seen a lot of, as we all have, there's so much, so much bloodshed over religion and ideologies. Um, and it's, and um, it's sad, um, but that's, that's what seems to constantly go on in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a very spiritual film, you know. It, so it really is. That's and, the approach I took. Well, and something else that you do, and here again, this goes back to Yvonne, to your cinematographer. And, uh, you know, the way that you were shooting Guy's character of Reynolds, um, there's that one there's one really intense scene where he's got this huge monologue. He's in the pub. The camera is dutching up at him, and it's almost like a close-up dutching. And he is just going off and railing about everything. And he looks almost demonic, which really adds a very unique spin, another layer uh, into the story. And 
I mean, the feeling that you get, it, it's very much, you've got religion, anti-religion, you've got vampires, you've got demons, uh, you've got nature. And Reynolds really, thanks to your lensing, really comes across with it as almost a demonic presence, which justifies why he did his hate speech, more or less, uh, because that's essentially who he is. And I really love that. Good. Yeah. Um, it's such a, an intense, it's such an intense character that, you know, Reynolds really is the personification of hatred and, and um, fear. Yes. Know? And uh, he's just a little lost boy, you know. Um, but he's human, you know. And in the end, he's vulnerable and teachable, you know, willing to, um, to grow. Now, talk to me about your editing on here, because this really is, it's a slow burn. And then mm-hmm. you, you will hit us with moments, you know, such as, you know, Reynolds going off the rails with his pontification and his hate speech, uh, where he is enraged. Or when we see Fallon uh, respond in certain situations. Talk to me about you working with two editors, Helen Sheridan and John Walters. And you worked with John before on your film One Way. Um, what, um, what was the editing process like on this, on Sunrise? It was very long and it was very arduous because we had a lot of stuff to figure out. Helen and I went through many, many narrative, iter- you know, rearranging narrative because there were so many different storylines. Up, you know, like secondary storylines, like with the teenagers, the red coat. The red coat really formed in the edit. You know, the, the meaning of it. And um, we went on. I think Helen and I did about four months together, and then John and I did about a month. That's how long it took. And it got to the point where we just wanted the fresh eyes on it, to, to because it just it was it was a very extensive edit, and. Um, but I, I wasn't shooting blind, but I knew that there was elements and structural elements going into shooting the movie that needed to be addressed in the in the edit. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. So, but it's my favorite part of filmmaking now. I think is the edit, and um, this one was was particularly arduous, you know. Uh, and but I always spend a lot of time editing, you mm-hmm. know. But this one was. I this was like twenty weeks, I think, you know. Was so like DGA is like ten weeks. Uh to do a director's to do a director's cut. Mm-hmm. So I was I didn't I mean it took me at least sixteen weeks to do a director's cut. Wow. So what yeah. while you're doing you know, developing the, the structural elements and rearranging things, was it difficult to find the proper pacing? It's one thing to find your structural elements for your story purposes, but this has a very specific pace so that we really um, sit yeah. in this fear. What, how would you describe it then? What, how would you describe the pacing? It, it's, a, it's a slow burn. It is a uh-huh. slow burn that lets us as the audience actually sit. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, like... If you put a frog in a pot of water and you start boiling it, frog doesn't realize that he's boiling to death. Now, if you, yeah. drop, the, if you drop the frog in a pot of boiling water, he's going to know right away. And yeah. this pace has us, we're the frog sitting there as it's heating up. Yeah. Uh, that's, it. that's the best analogy I've got on this one. Um, well, that's fantastic, you know, and that, that's a great analogy to apply to my next movie because that's like, I mean, what's my next, anyway, I don't want to talk too much about it, but one of the things that is interesting is that something that usually appears at the beginning doesn't appear until halfway through the movie. Um, so 
it's good, you know, the slow burn and the tension building, whatever you feel something's coming, you don't know what it is, and uh, there's something out there, you know, and then, but then it has, you know, that's good. I'm, um, was that intentional? Well, there was a building dread, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what it is, you know, this, this ominous threat to the town, but the threat really comes from within the people themselves and the fear they have. Um, it's, you know, they've just manifested this creature. Mm-hmm. But you do a really good job of, of having us sit in that while this is building and building and building. And you don't speed it up. You maintain that, uh, that incremental tension because you, there's so many directors, so many times when things are cut, it's like they jump to it too fast. They jump to the climax too fast. And mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't do that here. You keep us sitting in that water as it's bo- getting hotter, getting hotter, getting hotter before mm-hmm. it finally unleashes. And I really mm-hmm. like that how you've done that with the pace because it really does feed into the purposefulness of Fallon actually, and how he responds to things. He sits, he watches, he looks, he waits until. So on multiple levels, it works really, really well, Andrew. Thank you. Now, I'm glad, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's, uh, it's, it seems to be, you just never really know. You really don't even you know, when I do the, the press on these movies, you just never know. Critics are their own, audience are their own, whatever, journalists are their own, whatever it is. But peop, like, I, people seem to be really taken by this one, you know, so. It's, it's unexpected. In, you know. Well, originality, right? That's, that's, that's a big part of filmmaking. It's yes. <laughs> um, trying to be original. Because that's what audiences want. They don't want to see the most of the time. They don't want to see the same old stuff, you know. And so. this is fresh. It is original, uh, and that's one of the, one of the things that, that initially attracts you to this as a viewer. But mm. then once you get in there, you cannot look away. You've got mm-hmm. you've got to sit there. You you are in this for the ride for the duration uh, to yeah. see how things play out. And that's good storytelling, Andrew. Thank you. Now, I'm just thinking as you say that, like I'm just making sure that um, that applies to the movie I'm doing now. Um, because certain financiers were like, drop it at the beginning, you know? Um, like in terms of like, shake the audience at the beginning. And it's like, you can shake them, but you still... You can hold you can hold it back. You know, it's yeah. like always what's in the audience's mind is much more effective than what you can show on screen. If you can, you know, if you can like craft a kind of dread in their mind, you know, it's it's really the best approach. You know, oh, With absolutely, like subtle sort of hints of whatever. You know, there's one other element of this film I've got to ask, about Sunrise. I've got to ask you about that is your scoring from Andrew Simon mm-hmm. McAllister. I love, mm-hmm. I love the subtlety of this score, Andrew. I Great. love it. It really, it it is like a foundational. It's it's a foundational. It's not telling us how to feel. It's not leading us anywhere. But it's like a solid foundation underneath this, an emotional foundation. And I really love what he, what Andrew did with uh, the scoring. What were you looking for musically with this one? We, it was the classical approach. Um, and that's what Andrew does. He's classically trained. And it's the same with the cinematography. I just, the movie was approached in a classical way not an experimental way. And um, so I wanted it 
to be extremely evocative and moody. And, um, and again, I would have referenced Jaws and the music, how important the music in Jaws was, I felt was similar to the music in Sunrise. Um, yeah, it, it, it really was an influence on the movie. Yeah, it, um, it works so beautifully. It really works beautifully with this. It's almost at times, it's almost like the sound of the forest, a cacophony from the forest that is just blanketing everything around it that's happening in this town. And I, re- I really like the score here. That's great. So now, when can we expect uh, your shark movie? Shark movies are one of my all-time favorites. I love shark movies. So I need to know when, when I can be on the lookout for this. I'm sure it'll, it'll be sometime next year, I suppose. You know, they usually, I kind of make a movie a year on average, you know. Um, and that's what I might, why not, you know. And uh, there's been times I thought I was going to um, be... You know, sometimes you can probably do two, but that's pushing it. I, I think one, one, one a year is it. So um, it'll be sometime next year. It's finance. We're just casting at the moment. Usually, I have to cast and then finance, but just because of the nature of the movie and one of the producers, uh, they did forty-seven meters down and they did the fall. So it. it People are very eager for, we're very, buyers are very eager for it. So, and so I'm just trying to make sure we need a Jaws cast, you know, we need the quality. Yeah. You know, we need, they're younger, the, the cast of characters are younger, you know, they would be like in their 30s, but um, it's a couple, it's two couples. One one of them have has a child and this dysfunctional family meet this other couple and they, get more than they bargained for, basically. You know? <laughs> uh, and um, very interesting characters, very interesting kind of situation. And uh, um, it's all tension, tension, tension. Um, it's like Dead Palm. Do you remember that movie? That I Bill do. Made with I Neil, do. Nicole Kidman, Billy Zane. So it's somewhere between Dead Palm and Jaws. Strong, and I had, I did a lot of work on the on the script. Um, I did quite a bit on Sunrise. I did even more on this, and um, yeah, it's it's a very much a, a director's piece. You know, I think this movie, that this next movie, Cape Point, is a real test of my directorial abilities more Ooh. than the other three. Oh, I can't wait for that. And the fact that some of the producers are 47 meters down, a movie that I love. Um, oh, good, good. So I'm just, I'm thrilled that they're behind your next one. Uh, and as I said... Yeah, any- they're called T-Shop. Um, and, and one of the producers there, James Harris, is doing it. With another guy who's done all my other movies, Nathan Klinger and... Um, the company that financed my first, arranged the finance for my first two movies is doing a call Highland. So uh, we kind of soft launched with AFM. They, it sold really well. And then I think they're going to finish it Berlin. So that's how these movies get done. And I really don't need any name actors except one, maybe one. So, um, but it's very similar to kind of assembling a kind of a Jaws uh, cast. It's having it's five actors rather than three on the boat. There's really it's really five. There's about I don't know. There's probably like six or seven. It's very 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 contained in that way in terms of characters, but it's very expansive. You know, it's all in the open in the in the wild. So it's good. Yeah, it's very good. Well, all I you got sharks for my money. That's all you need. Sharks. So, well, the question is: Is are the sharks under the water as dangerous as the sharks above the water? Ah, 
And are we talking sharks or the metaphoric two-legged sharks? Yeah, well, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the fear again. Yep. It's, you know? Well, I will... And I think that's how the Jaws element started to feature into Sunrise. Sunrise you know? as well. Um, just trying to, trying, to, trying to ground Sunrise, you know, in, a, in something, you know? So I think we did that pretty well. Well, I think you definitely did it pretty well. And again, everybody can see Sunrise this Friday. It's mm-hmm. in theaters, digital, on demand. See it. You know, it's it'll be well worth your time. Um, it's I, I believe AMC. It's it's playing in, in the AMC theaters. I know that. I don't know the full list or whatever, but um, it, it's definitely worth seeing on the big screen. It's such a visual. You know, right? It's so visual and it really yes, worth it. This is a film that, to appreciate all the nuance and the texture, that visual texture that we get, that then fuels your emotional texture. Definitely, uh, a big screen is the way to go with this one. It's been great to chat with you, Andrew. This has been absolutely wonderful. And I hope we'll be chatting next year for your shark movie. For sure. Thank you, Andrew, so much. And you My have, pleasure. You have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that was Andrew Baird, director of Sunrise, starring Alex Pettifer, Guy Pierce. It's out Friday. And again, The Bricklayer. Directed by Rennie Harlan, starring Aaron Eckhart, Nina Dobrov, Clifton Collins Jr., Tim Blake Nelson. It's an A-list cast. And it's a great action spy thriller. And that is out now. So, that is all the time we have for today and then some. I'll be back next week. Director Joe Maggio is going to be with us. Uh, talk about his new film. And until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.